Hello, everybody. Hello. My name is Shannon. I'm Alyssa. Welcome back to another episode of Hashtag Hashtag Judging You. you. And if you didn't know, it's Spooktober. Mm -hmm. So uh, today and every day that we post in October (laughs) is going to be a little more spooky. Oh, we're trying to. Yeah. And I wanted to do spooky stories (laughs) this time. Mm. So we are in a dark closet with candles Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just get cozy and get spooky. Yeah. And uh, they're not, like, scary, scary. You know, like, how scared can you get from a a story? But they're fun. And they're spookity. So, yeah. Get cozy. Get spooky. Yes. Uh, Gather and join us around the fire for the Midnight Society. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll get started. Submitting for your approval. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I have a couple shorter ones, and then I have a long one to kind of end it on. Okay. So, this one is kind of, like, it kind of ends... Okay, Okay. we'll just do it. Okay, Okay. ready? This one's called Something Went Wrong with My Heart Transplant. Oh. Okay. 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 I've always had a weak heart, not just physically. I've always been afraid of my own shadow. It was unsurprising when the doctors told me my heart murmur wasn't just a murmur. A year of tests, a year of therapy, constant trips to the hospital, and I was finally told that it had all been for nothing. My poor weak heart wouldn't last until Christmas. It's a strange thing being told that you're dying. I didn't come to terms with it at first. I drank and spent my money. I did reckless, stupid things because I was so damn scared. Then I got the news that a young woman called Laura had been declared brain dead and that I, the lucky chosen one, would be getting a brand new heart a week later. I drove to the hospital slowly and readied myself for the ordeal that was to come. Why would you drive yourself? Sorry. (laughs) I don't know. I'm in judging you mode, sorry. (laughs) Good. We can, we can judge a little okay. bit. <laughs> As I was laying in bed on the last night, the thought of Laura swirled around in my head and it wouldn't leave me alone. It was like her name was in flashing lights every time I closed my eyes. It was wrong. I know it was. But I had to see the woman who was giving me her heart. It didn't feel right not to put a face to the one who was saving my life. I knew her name. I knew what ward she was staying on. I had overheard the two nurses discussing it. I wandered down the meandering hallways until I found what I was looking for, taking my time, making sure I didn't miss any name. I guess I had time on my hands now. In the second to last room, she lay in her bed. A woman sat on the bed next to her, holding her hand, and my own weak heart stuttered. Excuse me. I had no idea what to say to her. I'm Jenna. I'm the person... I'm having surgery tomorrow, and... What I assumed was Laura's mother stood up, and I could tell from the look in her eyes that she knew who I was. Thank you for visiting. I know it's strange, but a part of her is going to be living on in you. I wanted to meet you. I stood there helpless and lost for words. Laura's mother beckoned me over. Please, she said. Don't feel uncomfortable. It's what she would have wanted. I sat on the chair next to Laura. How did she... I broke off. It was too awful to ask. Laura's mother gave me a thin smile. She was a care worker. She looked after abused women. Last month, she met a guy and, well, I suppose years of training can't help you when you're in love. She ignored the warning signs and he killed her. She dedicated her life to those who needed her. Laura's mother looked down. I don't know why I did it, but I reached over and held Laura's hand. I squeezed it. I'm so sorry. I had a boyfriend once who... He was like that too. Someone like Laura convinced me to leave. Laura's mother gave me another half smile. I could see the tears in her eyes. Then Laura squeezed my hand. Tightly. She gripped me so hard that her fingernails dug into my skin. I recoiled, a look of horror on my face. Laura's mother looked at me calmly. She squeezes my hand sometimes as well. I think the doctors call it muscle spasms. Either way, there's none of Laura left there anymore. 
I looked at the small crescent moon that had just started to bleed on the palm of my hand. The surgery went perfectly. I was wheeled to the recovery suite after it was over and done with. The raised wound on my chest covered by gauze. It was better if I didn't see it, I thought. I didn't need any more heart issues. <laughs> I spent the first day doped up on pain medication, eating only a little and sitting up maybe two times. It was a long process, they reassured me. Laura's mother came to visit me the day before I was due to leave. Her calm demeanor hadn't wavered, but I could see that she was suffering. She looked 10 years older, and her hands shook when she gave me a hug. When are you going home? Tomorrow, I told her. Please come visit whenever you want. I started to jot down my address for her when out of the corner of my eye, a flash of blonde disappeared through the doorway. The same brilliant blonde as Laura's hair. Mm -hmm. Ow! I cried out suddenly. It felt like someone had sharply squeezed my hand so hard it had almost crushed the bones. Laura's mother rushed to my side, a look of concern in her eyes. What's wrong? Is it your heart? She stumbled over the last words, coming to terms with what she had said. I tried to reassure her and said that I'd let the doctors know, and she left with a look of worry on her face. When I looked down, a new set of crescent fingernail marks were below the ones that Laura had made. Ten identical bleeding smiles, which I really liked the, mm -hmm. the imagery of. Yep. The taxi ride home was short, and before I knew it, I was back in my own flat. It felt strange to try and slot back into where I had left off. My life had been almost over the last time I had been here. I looked over the mess and the cardboard boxes, the remnants of one night where I had tearfully tried to pack and store my belongings so my parents wouldn't have to do it when I died. Laura's heart beat so strongly it felt like it would come out of my chest. It did this all the time, and I realized this is what a healthy heart must feel like. So why couldn't I shake my feeling of unease? That night I had a dream. Laura was in her hospital bed, but her mother was gone. I could hear my heart, Laura's heart, beating in my eardrums so loudly it was painful. I tried to cover them, but my hands were pinned to my sides. Some unexplainable force was moving me toward the motionless figure of Laura on her bed. Her lips were blue, and the window had come open, whipping her blonde hair around her face. I was almost on top of her when her eyes flew open. They were milky white, the eyes of someone dead. Get out, she rasped, her voice guttural. I could hear the heartbeat faster and faster, drumming until I thought I couldn't take it anymore. Then I woke up. The sound had been real. Laura's heart was so loud I felt like it would rupture my eardrums, and I screamed in agony trying to cover my ears. It was useless. It was coming from someplace deep inside of me. I could feel it reverberating around the hollows of my chest. I stumbled out of bed, gasping for air, and tried to find my phone. I needed to call someone. Anyone. An ambulance or my mom. Anyone that would pick up. Get. Out. It was a faint whisper over the hammering thumps of Laura's heart, a low, guttural voice that sounded like it had been made by an animal, and I crawled to the door down the hallway, choking on my screams for help. My neighbor opened the door, his eyes as white as saucers at the sight of me on the floor clutching my chest. He drove me to the hospital as I cried in the passenger seat of his car. After about 50 different checkups, the doctor told me that absolutely nothing was wrong with me. They told me my heart was regular, my blood pressure was normal, and that everything was going just swimmingly. I stood in the waiting area, wallowing in my shame and frustration. That heart didn't belong to me. The phone buzzed on my counter, an unknown number. Great. That was all I needed. More unexplained, scary things like a stranger on the end of the phone. My voice sounded small on the line. Hello? Good morning. This is the Thames Valley Police. We've called to report an incident that occurred in your flat at around 1.30 a.m. today. I felt a wave of embarrassment. I'm so sorry. I recently had surgery and I wasn't feeling well. I had to have my neighbor drive me to the hospital and I think I panicked a little in the hallway before I left. There was a small silence on the other end of the phone. I'm afraid this is something you might want to be sitting down for. 
I felt Laura's heartbeats, strong and calm. There was an incident of forced entry by Mr. Samuel Matthews. According to our police records, he's your ex-partner, and you filed a restraining order against him in September of 2017. Mm-hmm. I did. He's in police custody. We found an automatic weapon on him, and we believe he had the intent to harm you. We had an officer currently stationed at your flat who can fill you in depending on how long your hospital stay will be. I thanked him and hung up the phone. For a moment, I leaned against the wall, the horror slowly spreading over me. If I had been in my flat 10 minutes later, he would have found me. Laura's heartbeats filled my ears again, but now they were gentle and calming. Her mother said she dedicated every part of her to helping those who needed it. I put both hands on my chest, overwhelmed by my own gratitude, and listened to Laura. Oh, not me trying to... (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, it gets spooky, spooky, and then it's like... like, Oh, I know. I like that one. I know, I thought it was spooky. Uh. Um, okay. That could have been a movie. That was a good one. That that should have been a movie. Yeah, you could do a lot with that, for Mm -hmm. sure. Okay, this is another shorter one. My husband brought home a fake daughter. This is not my child. That was all I could think. Honey, said my husband, is everything all right? Who is this? I said, staring at the little girl I'd never seen before, standing in my house, dressed in my daughter's clothes. Where is Liza? My husband gave me a worried look, and the girl who was not Liza looked positively terrified. What do you mean? said my husband. Are you feeling all right? Why was he evading my question? Why couldn't he just answer? I took a deep breath and tried to remain calm. I'll be all right, I said, as soon as you tell me where my daughter is. My husband frowned and the little girl's eyes welled up with moisture. My husband placed a protective hand over her shoulder and leaned down to whisper in her ear. Go upstairs, honey. Mommy's not feeling well. The girl wasted no time in doing what he said. She clutched her school books to her chest and barreled past me, rushing up the stairs. I heard the door of my daughter's room slam. The look on my husband's face was a mix of pity and restrained anger. You haven't been taking your medication, he said. Don't try to deny it. I can see it in your eyes. I waved my hand in a dismissive gesture. I don't need them, I said. They make my mind all fuzzy. The anger on my husband's face became less restrained. Well-etched frown lines beneath his lips deepened. Do you remember what happened last time you said that? He asked. The suggestion was enough. A swarm of shattered and confused images flooded my mind like the wave of nausea that comes before vomit. My husband screaming, covered in blood. Look what you made me do, he was shrieking. Look what you made me do! I felt the floor tilt beneath me, and before I knew what had happened, I found myself falling backwards into my husband's arms. Hot tears were streaming down my cheeks, and my body convulsed with violent sobs. My husband gently brushed my hair and whispered in my ear, Shh, it's not real, honey. I promise that it's not real. I let him carry me up to our bedroom and lay me gently down on the bed. He walked over to the dresser where he kept the cocktail of drugs that I took every day to maintain my sanity. I swallowed them gratefully. Soon my mind was going fuzzy. I could feel myself becoming a pliable zombie that could be told anything, made to do anything. Of course, I knew that it was wrong, that this girl was not Liza. I knew that it wasn't me who had been driven insane by our daughter's death, but my husband. I knew he had kidnapped that girl when she was a toddler and brainwashed her into believing she was Liza. But most importantly, I knew that if I didn't take my pills, if I shattered his precariously built illusion, that he would kill the girl and start all over again, just like he did last time. Oh! <laughs> the end. Oh, that's spooky. Right? Oh. Yeah, that was a little creepy. Oh. A little creepy. That was creepy. I liked that one. Yeah, that one was good. <laughs> Okay, I have another short one. I saved one of them to um, 
our Google, mm-hmm. and I, I titled it Alyssa Do Not Read. Okay, that's good. I didn't check. <laughs> yeah, so. I figured, but yeah. I just wanted to put it up there just in case. <laughs> Um, this one is a little bit spookity, but also just kind of fun. Okay. So. Okay. This one reminds me a lot of, like, like the tales of yesteryear, like the hook hand mm-hmm. guy, and, yeah. like, just those kinds oh, of stories. Like so. Okay. It is called The Escaped Man. Ooh. The rain was falling heavily. It was like driving through a thick curtain of water. He eased off the accelerator a little. Had to be careful driving on wild nights like these. The last thing you'd want is to have an accident or breakdown. You just want to be at home on these stormy nights. He stared out into the glow of the headlights. The rain sounded like white noise as it battered the car. He was reminded of the opening scenes of a Hitchcock film. Through the wash of the rain, he spotted a figure at the side of the road. The person wore a green parka and had their thumb jerked out. Why on earth would anyone be hitchhiking tonight? Surely you would just stay put until the morning. They must have been in a rush to get where they were going. He signaled down and pulled over. The hitchhiker climbed in. He shut the door quickly, glad to be out of the rain. He pulled his hood back and sighed. He was somewhere in his mid-twenties and had wild red hair and a thick beard. Awful night, eh? said the driver. The hitchhiker held his gaze for a long moment. Drops of rainwater trickled down his face. Yes. Yes, it is. The driver pulled out and continued through the storm. The hitchhiker glanced over his shoulder into the blackness behind them. You okay? The hitcher simply nodded. They drove on in silence for a short while. The BBC radio phone blaring out from the car speakers filled in for conversation. They listened to the radio and their own thoughts as they moved on. Where are you headed? Asked the driver. North, the hitcher pointed. Are you traveling to visit friends? Hmm. The driver couldn't tell if this was a yes or a no. He adjusted his tie nervously. The hitcher stared at him in his suit and tie. The hitcher seemed scruffy in comparison in his parka and Pink Floyd t-shirt. Do you work around here? asked the hitcher. Yeah, said the driver. I was stuck late at the office. You know how it is. No, not really. Again, they drifted into silence. The talk radio show carried on as they drove through the wind and the rain. The hitcher shifted in his seat and stared out the windscreen. No music? the hitcher asked. What? Is there no music we could listen to? I like talk radio shows. I'm not really a music fan. The hitcher's eyes glazed over for a moment. I know who the sociopath is in this one. (laughs) Then he spoke. I like listening to music. It calms me down. The driver said nothing. Several miles later, there was a news bulletin on the radio. The reporter tried to remain professional as she read the announcement. We're getting reports that a patient has escaped from a Manchester psychiatric institution. The man is said to be psychopathic and is said to have a history of murder. The hitchhiker jabbed a finger on the button on the radio panel. Tinny pop music blurted out from the speakers. The driver stared at his passenger, his question unasked. I hate the news, answered the hitcher. It's so depressing, it brings me down. There's never any good news, is there? The driver did not reply. Don't worry, I'm not the killer, said the hitcher, fidgeting with his coat. No, said the driver. I mean, no, of course you aren't. They drove on listening to the crappy pop music and overexcited radio DJs. The rain pounded on the car. What do you do for a living, asked the driver. I'm a writer. Really? How interesting. Have you had anything published? No. As of yet, I'm an undiscovered artist. I'm sure you'll make it. What are you working on at the moment? I'm writing a novel. Yeah? It's about a serial killer. The driver did not speak. He flicked the talk radio station back on. A man was rambling on with himself about the change in days. His wheelie bins were emptied. Where can I drop you? asked the driver. The hitchhiker said nothing. When the driver glazed round his gate... Glazed? Hmm. 
When the driver glazed round, his passenger had his eyes closed. I'm guessing that was gazed. He was either asleep or feigning slumber. They drove on through the storm down the snaking lanes. An hour later, the storm still growled and raged. The hitcher looked out of the window. The driver steered the car in silence. Another news bulletin came over the radio. We're getting more information on the escaped patient. The killer's name is Simon Hughes. He escaped from the Green Pastures Institute earlier this evening. Hughes made his escape by changing from his hospital-issued uniform into a suit and tie and pretending to be one of the medical staff. He stole a car and drove off. The hitcher turned to the driver. What did you say your name was again? My name is Simon. The hitcher stared in shock. Simon grinned. The headlights of a passing car glinted off the knife blade in Simon's hand. Oh. The end. I told you. I, know. I told you. I know. <laughs> Not like when you said music. that, I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> if you don't like music, you're crazy. That's true. Oh. That was a good one, though. That was yeah. a good one. This doesn't it just remind you of like those yeah. old stories mm-hmm. we used to tell? So good. Absolutely. Yeah, it's got all the same vibes. Mm-hmm. No. I wonder how many people, like, legitimately, like, I, I don't think most of Gen Z have ever read the scary tor- stories to tell in the dark. I like, know, right? I don't think they have. So. I mean, the movie came out, so it could have, like, inspired them to. Possibly. But Possibly. I did not watch that movie. That came out way it too late. terrifying. Well, the, from what I understand, the plot isn't that great, because I haven't seen it yet either. The plot isn't wonderful. But most of the, like, the characters from the stories are actual like people in costumes yeah. and it's not like there's a little bit of cgi because obviously yeah you need it for some a little of them bit. are crazy but like yeah. a lot of them are like in real costumes i'm like that is so cool i love that a lot because like maybe we should watch it Ooh, we should watch That'd it fun. oh they have the new um paranormal activity movie out oh. on dvd so we should watch that together i think it'd be cool yes you have any more yes cool this one <laughs> Is a little closer to home for okay. us. Um, oh. Not as close as the last story. We'll okay. get there. But I just thought it was kind of interesting, and I don't know if it's true at all. all right. But <laughs> I work security at Disney World. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I did. I work in security at Disney World, the happiest place on earth. Typically, I wouldn't say where I work, as obviously there are some pretty strict rules about things employees can put online. But I just don't think I can tell this properly without the context. And honestly, I think this may be it for me anyway with this job. I just can't see myself working here any longer now. I've been with the company for 23 years. The first 20 years I worked in the parks, nabbing shoplifters and rounding up people who were drinking too much for the heat. Occasionally there'd be a fight to break up, but most people kept it pretty mild. The heat and walking was getting too much for me the last few years, so I asked to be transferred somewhere with AC and the company moved me to one of their resorts. This was mm-hmm. nice. Okay. While the working conditions were 110% better as far as climate and comfort go, the guest issues were trickier, mainly domestics. I guess the expense and stress of vacation got to a lot of people, and I'd be called by neighboring rooms because some mom and dad were yelling at each other. I'd try to suggest they take a nap or go to separate activities for a bit, and that would usually calm them down. But none of that is why I'm here. I've got to get this out while I have time. Three days ago, I got a call from management. Apparently, a couple of days before that, housekeeping went into a room that should have been turned over that day, which means checking out and Mm -hmm. checking in, you know, and all of the guests' items were still in the room. Housekeeping made a note of it and moved on, but during the next two days when they entered the room, everything was still there and untouched. I went to check it out, and sure enough, there was an empty room full of luggage, clothes, snacks, some toys, everything a family would need for vacation. 
The manager had already looked up the previous reservation and it was for a family, a dad, mom, and two little kids. I tried to call the phone numbers they had given, but all I got was voicemail. We were a bit stumped, so I made the call that the housekeeper could clean the room and take the family's personal items to be held until we get in contact with someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, yes, yes this is what hotels do. do. Yeah. <laughs> they also, we, if not, we would have um, changed the lot or like changed the code for the door so that oh, yeah. they couldn't get in. And if they tried to get back in, they'd have to come down to the front desk to get in. That's so, smart. Yep. I went digging into the reservation more. The family had arrived five days before housekeeping discovered all their stuff. I found that the family had paid a parking fee and their vehicle description was listed. A quick walk of the parking lots and I had easily located their vehicle. So that ruled out a car accident or them deciding to just leave all their stuff behind. Next I saw that they had bought a dining plan. This is when a guest prepays for all their food. They're given a certain number of credits to use for meals. This family had only used three credits and the last one was two days after they checked in. It appeared that the day they arrived they got here late and probably just stayed on the resort. The next day they used two credits at Epcot. The second park day, they used just one credit at Magic Kingdom, and it was at breakfast time. Now, at Disney, we have something called Magic Bands. Magic Bands are worn by the guests and act as a room key, park ticket, credit card, dining reservation payment, fast pass, and more. It took some work, but I was finally able to look up this family's fast pass history. Wow. Fast pass history. Mm-hmm. Say that five times. Right? <laughs> The day they went to Magic Kingdom, they had breakfast at a restaurant in the park, rode a couple of rides, and then rode their last ride, It's a Small World, around 11 a.m., then nothing. Finally, it was time to bring in someone else on this. I called an old co-worker at Magic Kingdom and asked him to pull security footage for It's a Small World at the time they rode it, and I made my way over there. When I got there, my friend was very confused, almost distraught looking. He showed me what he found. There's usually a camera in the direction of where rides load and unload. The footage showed them scanning their bands to use fast passes for the ride and boarding the ride. The footage from the exit of the ride just showed the other people in their car exiting. They weren't there. Mm. Of course we thought the worst. Maybe one of the kids had fallen out and mom and dad and the other kid got off in the middle of the ride to help them and they all got injured or killed or stuck in machinery somewhere. So we shut down the ride. We turned off that earworm music and turned up the lights. Me and my buddy walked that ride three times before we called in help. Eventually, there was close to 10 cast members searching, and we didn't find shit except for three cell phones and a hat. I was right stumped. I've been digging the past couple of days, and I'm not sure who to tell what I found next. I've called the police, and I suppose they're on their way, but the company has a way of covering up things like this, and I decided I can't live with myself if I don't put out some type of warning. I kept digging into their reservation over the last couple of days, and today I noticed they had purchased Memory Maker. There are photographers all over the parks and cameras in a lot of the rides, and with Memory Maker, the photos are all free. The pictures automatically get added to the guest Disney account when the system knows their picture has been taken, and the system always knows. Everyone's whereabouts are always known with the magic bands. Well, I opened up their Memory Maker photo album, and I swear there's 732 pictures. The first 30 or so are pretty normal. Epcot, a few rides in front of the castle, but the rest, the rest are all in It's a Small World. The ride only takes one picture per go-round, so it appears as though this family has ridden the ride over 700 times. The first picture was pretty normal. Everyone looked happy. It was a busy day, and there was a car full of guests. The next one is rough to look at. The car is empty, except for this little family, and they look so darn confused. The next 10 to 15, I can see Dad getting angry, yelling. Mom is holding on to the two kids like her life depends on it, and you can see the kids getting increasingly upset and crying. And on it goes. And on. And on. 
After 50 or so, it looks like they're trying to get out. In one, the dad is missing. In another, they're all gone. Maybe like they've bailed early in the ride and tried to walk out, but in the very next one, they're all right back in the damn car. After about 4.50 or so, I only see the mom and kids. It's just when I look closely, I can see dad, maybe just his body now, slumped down in one of the other seats. Since about 6.75, there's just mom and one kid, another body in another seat. The mom and the kid aren't moving anymore. I think them two are still alive, just mm. damn near catatonic, looking straight ahead and pale. And y'all, I swear on my fucking life, the dolls are moving or something. In some of these pictures, I can tell they aren't where they should be. I even saw one with a doll in the car with this family. I can't look anymore or I'm going to lose my lunch. I closed the album. Its file size has increased since I closed it. God, are there new pictures being added? I see on security cameras that the local PD just arrived, so they'll take over soon. I wish I knew what the fuck was going on, but I also wish this damn thing had never landed in my lap. I don't think I'll be able to update this. After I talk to the police, I think I'm going to walk out of here and never come back. I just wanted to get this out there before Disney feeds the media some bullshit cover-up as to why a whole family vanished. They didn't vanish. I know where they are. Oh, that's so spooky. Right? <gasps> oh, that was really good. What's even weirder is that there are a lot of comments for people who worked at Small World that are like, that place is fucking haunted. Yeah. Like, like oh. there's a lot of them. That's so spooky. Yeah. That one was really good. Like, that one kind of gave you chills, you right. know? I, it's, it was all the extra details and stuff. It really made you believe that was real. Right. So if that's not real, if that's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, like, there was, was one person who said they went, I'm glad it's Disney World mm -hmm. and not Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they said they went, and when they looked down into the water, they could see, like, faces of <sighs> dead people or Ugh. something, and they, like, never went back on the ride again. And the very top comment said, ex-cast member here, I knew right when you said Small World that shit was going to go sideways fast. I do not fuck with Small World. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Mm yep. That sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Well, it's probably all the restless spirits that aren't allowed to be pronounced dead on the property. Probably. So. <laughs> and the ashes that get sprinkled there. And Stop spreading your ashes there. <laughs> they just get vacuumed up, okay? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Like, I mean, not if they're in the water. No. Mm -hmm. I guess not. Yeah. But could you imagine, could you imagine, first of all, okay, most of your ashes, when you're, when you die, that's not you. That's, mm -hmm. that's not a lot of you. Yeah. You, your body mostly disintegrates. Yeah. So your ashes are mostly just things for people. Anyway, yeah. but could you imagine whatever little bits of you that are left, you know, mm -hmm. in that, if that's like your spirit is contained to that, right? Yeah. If for whatever reason it would be, and you're just suddenly tumbled into grimy, disgusting, grease-filled water. Okay, aside from that, like, you'd be stuck in Small World yeah, for the rest of your existence. Yeah, you'd be stuck in Small World forever, so yeah, I would be so pissed. fuck that. But, like, uh, even Pirates. I would love to be on Pirates. That water is disgusting. It's true. I love the fucking smell of it. That bromine. Yep. Yes. I would not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, yeah. No, there was a very long time. There was a very long time where I wanted, because they, they were talking about how you could, like, take your ashes and condense them down to, like, into, a, like, an artificial diamond or whatever. It is a lie, but, like, not the point. Uh, but that is, like, so much what I wanted to do until I found out that it's, like, not true. But, like, my thing was is that I wanted to be put into the hilt of a sword and used to be avenged. Yes. 
anyway, yeah. This one is quite a bit longer. Okay. It also is a little bit gory. Okay. So if that's not for you guys, you can go ahead and dip out. Gets a little gruesome. Mm -hmm. Is this our so, last story? This is our last story. Okay. So if you don't stay, <coughs> have a good time. Love you. Love you. It's spooky time. Yeah. For those of you that are brave enough to stay, you're my people. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a story that we have already read. Oh. But um, I hadn't read it in a long time, and there's so much to this story mm -hmm. that I thought that we just had to retell it. Sure. So it was one of the original creepypastas. The story is called The Russian Sleep Experiment. <gasps> <gasps> Are you ready for it? I don't know if I'm ready for it again. Right? Oh my Can gosh. I just say that we thought this was fucking real the oh first time gosh. we read it? Yeah, I mean, that. this was, what, 20... 12? 12 yeah. probably yeah oh my gosh yeah. 10 years ago gross oh my gosh so i'm sure we won't remember most i of don't this. remember most of look it. how well, long this is yeah it's so fucking it's long it's so long it's so long okay. <clears throat> okay so buckle up if you haven't heard this one and if you have just stay yeah. just hang out it's fun and you can it's hear our opinions one. on it yes i still also um to this day uh, it's a totally different one, um, but like where you hear buzzing in your ear mm -hmm. and you're not supposed to listen back, mm -hmm. I still do that. I freak myself out every fucking don't listen, time. Don't listen. Yeah. For some reason, if I start hearing my ear buzzing, I look straight ahead at whatever it is I'm doing and I just completely ignore the sound. Like, yeah. so for those of you who don't know, it's just like it was this stupid creepy pasta going around for a while mm -hmm. where it was like every time your ear is buzzing, you hear a ringing in your like, ear. You hear something like that. Yeah. Um, don't listen back because they'll start to pay attention to you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's creepy. And like, so, I don't like, need that in my life. Yeah, we don't need that. So we good, we good. Mm -hmm. Sorry, creepy enough. Thank you, bros. Okay. <clears throat> and this thing, oh my gosh, this story yep. spooks me out, man. Yep. So, okay. If this was fucking, I wouldn't it, be surprised if it was real. I know, honestly. I wouldn't either. Yeah. I probably, today, I probably wouldn't be as scared of it as I was, like, when we first read it, because... Yeah. I'm desensitized to everything. Yeah. But yeah. it's... Um, For those who have never heard it before, mm -hmm. buckle up. That's Buck all I gotta say. <laughs> buckle up. If camp. you don't like gore, yeah. don't Peace listen. out, babes. Because there is a lot yeah. that happens here, okay? Yeah. Trigger. But it's a really good story. Warning. You don't like blood. You don't like gruesome, hashtag. nasty. Hashtag. Yep. <laughs> okay. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they only had microphones and five-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on but no bedding, running water, and a toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised, falsely, that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of the conversation took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. 
After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they are and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones and one-way mirror portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber repeatedly, yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, since they thought it was impossible that no sound could be coming with five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, we are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, we no longer wish to be freed. <sighs> Debate broke out that among... sentence. <laughs> I know. Oh, that haunts me, man. Yeah. Like, the dark um, of the night when I freak myself out sometimes, like, that's... Well, and when we first heard the story, we would, like, like, fuck like, with each other, too, so we'd be like, we no longer wish to be free. Like, just, just like, randomly. Like, and we read other. this at, like, three in the morning or yeah. some shit, like... It was stupid. Why it was we so... Do that? Gosh, and we, <laughs> like, we read the whole fucking thing. Yep. So... Because we were like, what the... Wait, what the wait, hell? Oh, what... What the hell is happening? <laughs> okay, so we no longer wish to be free. Oh my gosh. Debate broke out among the researchers. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. The chamber was opened and soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that any of them were in life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. 
The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the rib cage. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all four could be seen to be working, digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber, and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the other subjects' teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives, if you count ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. I guess we're talking about a lot of mm-hmm. shit here, so yeah. sorry, guys. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had its spleen ruptured, and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of a morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking ribs and an arm of one doctor. When Hart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word more over and over, weaker and weaker until he fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility, the two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare him for surgery. He fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through the four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier was holding his wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force of his own muscles that he had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery, and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly they try the surgery without anesthetic, and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should have been medically possible for the patient to still be alive. Should have or shouldn't have? Shouldn't have, probably. Probably. (laughs) One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. It was simple. Keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well. 
Although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation, the surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were asking again for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own organs, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given, I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back into the chamber awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed at the stated goals of the project considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for a long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. It was obvious at that point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bond with all his might. First left, then right, then left again, for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first wired for the EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flatlines as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. Mm. He pointed his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you, he screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? I must know, he demanded. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? The subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out, so nearly free. The end. <laughs> it's so spooky. I like know. it's so like it oh, still chills. Like yeah, that's a good one. Oh, the no, we no longer wish to be freed is so like right. So like that's the first thing they said uh-huh. for days. They were in there. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, it's so spooky. Okay, but there was five of them, wasn't there? I think so. Okay, the first one was dead. Mm-hmm. When they went in. Yep, so there were four living ones. Four living ones. Okay. One of them had a spleen cut, and he died. Yep. Who was the one that died from the gas mask? Uh, I don't I don't know. Because they said they put the gas mask on him. Did they revive him? Is that what they did? Let me see. 
Or am I thinking wrong? Did I just mishear that? I know it's a long post. You gotta search. You're good. One of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, they attempted for to more. sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times morphine, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And he broke the ribs of a doctor. And an arm. Um, when Hart was seen to be for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point there was more air in his system, blah, blah, blah. He said more over and over until he fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained. Um, the most injured of the three was taken to the surgical operating room, so he was the one that... But did they revive him? Because they put the gas mask on him. Or the, fr- to the anesthesia. Yeah, he and tore through the restraints. No, his eyelids fluttered closed and his heart stopped. And did they... Re- no, the second survivor had been the first of the group to start screaming, and he was shaking his head no, but then he was like, keep cutting. Okay, so, that, so there the- must have been six because it says the other two subjects that doesn't make sense yeah guys fix your story come on (laughs) unless they revived the third one i guess but it doesn't seem like it sorry i'm not trying to poke (laughs) holes in your story we're not judging i'm not that great at math but um (laughs) but the math don't math Uh, two plus two don't equal five so like (laughs) it's just you know yeah well yay Yay! They had to have revived him. That's what I would have said. Okay. They were like that's they probably were able to revive him. Like yeah, something, something. But yeah. oh, that was just, just spooks me just out. Think that someone sat down and wrote that. Yeah, <laughs> they sat there and were like, "Yep, this is gonna be real fucking spooky." And it was. And it was. <laughs> it was so spooky. Like yeah. Oh, like I don't have trouble sleeping ever, but that line mm-hmm. still like I hear it just. Creepy moments, like super creepy moments. Occasionally, Shannon and I, it's like still to this day, we'll look at each other and hear something and just be like, we no longer wish to be free. (laughs) And like, it's so, gosh, man. I got goosebumps. I know. Chills, chills, chills. There's probably people who are like, this story's dumb. I know. You know what? You're dumb. So, but it was spooky. We were what, 18, 19? No, I didn't move until I was 20. So, okay, yeah. 21. We were babies. We were little. So, you know, and it was 3 a.m. And everything is spookier at 3 a.m. In a haunted house. Yeah, in our haunted house. <laughs> but, like, it was, like, still, it's still spooky to me. Like, yeah. it's, Because, like, how far from reality is that? No, like, that really feels like that could be something that was real. Yeah. That really happened. During World War II in Russia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this could uh, be Yeah, that could totally reality. be real. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. When they were doing, like, almost as bad of things. To yeah. other people. So to like the Jewish and yeah. to everybody else and to twins and yep. to just all the studies and the sciencey and the experiments mm-hmm. and the Yeah. I would not put this past them no. at all. At Especially all. on war prisoners mm-hmm. and like enemy soldiers and shit. Yep. Like of course. Yeah. <sighs> so So there's that spooky yeah. episode. I'm all creeped out now. I know, right? <laughs> I think we have three more spooky episodes to go in October, so stay tuned and join in. I think we're going to do another movie or two mm-hmm. and some more creepy stories, yeah. and we'll see what else happens. So, <laughs> thanks for hanging out. Thanks. Have a have great good time. time. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Let us know what you think by leaving a comment or sending us an email at bmoviebashpodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to our episodes on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, Amazon Music, and Audible, or you can find the video versions on our YouTube channel. If you want to support the podcast, you can find our coffee link on our anchor page. Make sure to like, subscribe, and tell your friends!